Thank you guys for being here. I'm really excited that you guys are here. I'm excited to be in front of you. Now, if this is your first time, like Pastor Larry mentioned, and you've missed the other parts of this series, let me just explain to you and define what we've been talking about in this series called Breathing Room. Now, Breathing Room is the space between your current pace and your limits. You know, it is the space between your financial situation or your emotional state or your, or your schedule and your limits. And for far too many people we've been talking about, there's just not enough breathing room. There's not enough space. Some people may even call that margin. There's not enough margin. And what we said throughout the series is that life is a lot better when you have breathing room. So today I'm going to talk to you about how to create space relationally. And because, you know, the problem is that in our, in our effort to get the most out of life, we just squeeze one thing after another, and eventually in trying to squeeze the last thing, something happens. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's happened to you. You went home and you saw this single email in a series of emails from the same person, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a mess, and then somebody walks in and says, hey, what's the matter, mom? What's the matter, dad? And, and you're just like, I don't know but it was the last straw. And in an effort to cram one more thing into your schedule, eventually there was a meltdown or a breakdown, and, and some of you are in the verge of this in your marriage. And some of you are in the verge of this with your kids. Some of you already had this happen to you in a relationship in the past, and you swore to yourself that you were never going to put yourself in that place again, but you find yourself in old habits. Because as we said in the beginning, that relationships thrive when there's breathing room. And relationships die when we live our lives to the limit because we can't possibly be effective and efficient there. So today as we wrap up this series, I'm going to talk to you specifically about relationships. But I think the best way to do that is to kind of tell you about my personal breathing room story and how I got so close to this level of you know, limits that... Honestly, I, I'm not that proud to admit it, but I want to share it with you. For me, it started in 2004. I was on a missions trip, and I, I heard God speak to me and say, tell me what your heart's desires are. And I've shared the story many times with you before because it's such a, an important part of my life. And, and I, at that time, I, while I was praying, I asked for a business and, so that I can be more involved at church, never imagining that I would be standing before you today and that I would be a full-time pastor. So the first thing I will tell you this morning is be careful what you ask for because you might just get it. Now, fast forward, this is 04, fast forward to 2006, and I had the opportunity to acquire this business. And I came to my wife running enthusiastically, and, and I told her all the wonderful things about owning a business. And, you know, we get to work at church, and we get to make our own hours and all this flexibility, and we get to be our own bosses, man, but was I wrong? Now I'm responsible for everything in this company. And my wife keeps reminding me that she's the boss, so I'm not even my own boss anyway. <laughs> so there was lots to do, and, and there were, we were so excited, but pretty soon we just start throwing all these balls up in the air, and we start, I wish I knew how to juggle, I'd do it in front of you, but, but I don't. But that's basically what started happening. Meanwhile, like most of you, um, I have three kids. One of them's in elementary, one of them's in junior high, one of them's uh, graduating, uh, you know, he's a graduating senior with, with college on the horizon, and... And, you know, I love my kids. I mean, at least most of the time, I love my kids. But suddenly it dawned on me that there wasn't going to be enough time. I love my work. I love my family. But there, there just wasn't enough time. If I stayed at work until everything got done, I would never go home. 
And if I stayed at home until everybody got their love tanks full and my kids got their attention and my wife got her conversation time, I would never go to work. You guys ever feel that way? That's where I was. So what ends up happening is that when I'm, I'm at home, I'm thinking about work. And when I'm at work, I'm thinking about home. And to make matters worse, you know, for me, it wasn't just the job I was going to. I was building a business. You know, I was, getting, I was setting up what was supposed to be something that was going to provide for my family for a long time. And I, and I felt I was in God's will. Do you guys remember I had prayed for this and God was putting me in a position so that I can be more involved at church? So there's excitement and there's anticipation and things were very, very busy at this season in life. Now, for some of you, I think a lot of you have met my wife. You know, she's an extraordinarily capable person. In fact, years ago, we took some personality tests, and she's what you would call a type A personality. She's a, a charger, another type of personality. She's a charger. And I am the same way, so imagine our conversations at home. You know, she, she's organized. She's efficient. She is the most get-it-done organized person, one of the ones that I, that I most organized that I know. I mean, she has so much capacity. And so this very stressful time in our lives, she just kept on taking more and more of the responsibility at home. And her heart was like, hey, listen, you go build a business and I'll take care of the things at home. That was the deal. Now, that was 06. Now, fast forward to 2009. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up in a minute, so don't worry. I'm not going to tell you all the way up to now every year. But 2009, I'm offered a position here at church to become one of your pastors. And now I'm really excited because now all these things that God was telling me about are coming true in my life. And, you know, when God speaks to you and you start seeing some of those things, it's one of the most wonderful things to, to be part of, you know, just when you know that God is, is actually speaking to you and it's not just you making stuff up. So this is exactly where God wanted me. You know, I mean, all these pieces started coming together except for one of them. And that was my wife saying yes to me taking a position here at church as your pastor. Now, I knew that I couldn't convince my wife because it had to be God that was going to convince my wife and not me. So think about it for a second with me. I'm about to ask my wife to take on more responsibility because God has been preparing us for this, and I just wasn't willing to do that. You know, I simply asked her, you know, why don't you pray about it? And if it was a no, and I honestly mean this, if, if she would come back and say, no, I, I'm not, I don't want you to do this, I don't want to do this, then I would just turn the position down. But I was confident that God wasn't going to do that because, remember, he's been lining me up all along for all of this. So we prayed and we prayed, and I, I won't tell you how long she prayed, but it was a long time. And in 2010, in February, I came on staff here at Canyon Hills. But guess what happened to my workload? I'm running a business. Now I'm here at church. I have two jobs now. Didn't get better, that's for sure. I mean, it's, it's easy to imagine that. But you see, one of the things that, that I want to share with you, that in a pastor's world, you have the, this idea that you're doing God's will. And so, so you pray a prayer that kind of looks like this. It says, dear God, please take care of the things at home so that I can take care of the things and build your church. Lord, take care of the things at home while I work to build this church and to build this business. And, and it just seems so glorious and glamorous. And, and it seems like God would answer that prayer, right? Why wouldn't he? I mean, God is going to cover the bases and fill in the gaps at home so that I can go and build this church and this business that he's given me. But because I've been around for a while, I also knew the end of that story because I've seen that movie before. 
And the end of the story is that if I didn't do something drastic in my commitments and my schedule, the end of the story was going to end up looking like a big mess, and I was going to find myself kind of a, the, the protagonist in one of, our, one of the nightmares that we may have. And I've seen it happen not, not only in the lives of men and women in business, but also in the lives of preachers and their kids. You know, I've talked to enough pastors and met enough of pastors' kids whose lives were a complete mess who walked away from the church and actually hated the church because their dad was married to the church. And the other thing that, that was this, that I didn't want a relationship to get to the point where I was going to just be committed to staying married, but we're not enjoying it. Now, I think there's a place for that, but I just didn't want to be in that place is, is really all I'm saying. You know, I wanted to love hearing the garage open because I'm coming home and not try to sneak out the back door. That's what I wanted. I wanted her to enjoy me coming home from work. And finally, this all culminated because I saw that things were progressing in the wrong direction. And this culminated in one of the most important conversations that we've ever had in our marriage. You know, we had the talk. And you guys, men, you guys know what I'm talking about, the talk. We, we hate the talk, right? But I knew we had to have that talk. But I think, you know, at the same time that this conversation actually resulted in one of the best leadership decisions that I've ever made. And, and, and I think one of the reasons we hadn't gone to that point, you know, after months and months of this just kind of drifting in that direction, the reason we hadn't gotten to that point is because I don't think she really wanted to tell me. Because she was trying to, to be a trooper and carry her load and carry her weight, and she didn't want to be complaining, and she, she was thinking, like I was thinking, that I was doing God's will. So, so finally, I asked her this question, and I said, honey, Olivia, and that's her name, my honey, her name's Olivia, you know, what does ideal look like? Just tell me, in an ideal world, what would my schedule look like? I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if it's realistic, but I just need to know so that we don't continue to drift in this wrong direction. Now, I'm going to tell you what our answer was in a minute, but let me talk about this tension that we're having here for a second. You see, when we hand our husbands or our wives or, or our significant others, whenever we hand our children and a, a responsibility that they're not equipped to carry, it's like handing them this big rock. So we come to them and we have this big rock and we say, honey, I have to go to work. I'm going to be gone for a long time and I'm going to be traveling more than normal. So I just need you to carry this responsibility that I know belongs to me. But I need you to hold this for a while while I go somewhere else to do something else. And we all know, I mean, we all know that there's times, that there's days and there's weeks and there's even short seasons where we have to, we have to say to our kids, you know, honey, uh, mom and dad aren't going to be home for a while or mom or dad, you know, we need to go to work and work a little longer or work a little harder. Mom and dad is going to miss a weekend or two. We might miss one of your ball games or two. And so we hand our spouses or we hand our kids this load and it represents this responsibility that we should be carrying but we're expecting them to carry it. And what happens when we hand it to them? What do you think is going to happen eventually? Well, the first thing they do is they always accept it because they love us. You know, they want to be a good husband while you're at work. They want to be a good wife while you travel. You know, they want to be a good son. They want to be a good daughter. So they accept it. So they said, Dad, you know, I know you're going to be gone for a while. I know you can't make my ball game. I know I'm going to miss, you're going to miss my recital. I'm going to miss you. But yeah, I'll definitely accept this responsibility because, you know, you're trusting me to do that. And so they carry that load for us. 
The problem comes is when we leave them that load and we never come back to take it away, to take it off their, their hands. And then time goes on and it goes on and it goes on and there's this tension and there's this problem and there's this stuff that's going on and we don't completely, completely understand it. But here's how you know that you've handed off a responsibility to somebody important to you, somebody in your family. You know because you're constantly repeating promises to do better. You know, daddy's going to do better. Mommy's going to do better. Honey, I promise. I promise, honey, it's going to get better. I, I know that I've done this. I know that I can't be there, but just wait. It's, it's going to get better. You know, I know you that I've scheduled myself again instead of going to you, and, and I prioritize somebody else again, but it's going to get better. And you know you're wrong, and sometimes you even cry about it or your kids cry about it, but, you know, you, you want to do better, but nothing changes. And you know how we justify this, which is kind of making matters worse? And I'm just sharing all this because it's my own personal experience. Once in a while, we come back to that person, our kids, our wives, and we just say, you know, how's that rock I gave you? How are you doing with that rock? Oh, man, yeah, I know it's heavy, but you're doing a great job. And then we cheer them on, right? And it was like, hey, you're doing a great job with that rock. I mean, you're actually, thank you so much. You're awesome at that. And then we go back to doing whatever it was that we were doing. The other way you know that you've handed this off is because you're chronically absent or late to important events. You miss another ball game, another recital. You miss another birthday. You know what? I schedule myself in, in our anniversary again. And the third way you know is you keep pointing to the future to make up for the past. You know, it's going to get better. Next year, for your birthday, we're going to do this. Next spring break, next Thanksgiving, next Christmas, next, next, next. You're always pointing to the future. And then eventually, when it's chronic, when it's repeated, when you just don't seem to change, when, when you're having the same conversations about the same things over and over and over again, that you handed someone in your family a burden that they were not meant to carry for very long, eventually, their mental willingness to carry your load is overcome by emotional, in some cases, physical exhaustion. And then guess what happens? They drop the rock. And it's so interesting when the rock drops in a family. We look at the immediate event and say, what happened? You know, all I said was pass the salsa, and all of a sudden she breaks down in tears. And she runs out of the room. What is that? All I said is that I was going to be late for five minutes, and she hangs up the phone on me, and then I get home, and she's not even home. All I said, honey, I'm, I'm going to miss this or I'm going to be late to that. And then I get, I get home and I don't see her and she's locked in a room and she's giving me the cold shoulder and I'm sleeping on the couch. All I said, all I did, and, and we don't understand that it was the last straw. That somebody dropped the rock. And when the rock drops, grades plummet sometimes. Intimacy evaporates. When the rock drops, you tell your husband, look, I've got a trip and this took me by surprise again as well. And, and instead of seeing sorrow in his eyes, you, you, just, you think you might just have read, hey, I'm glad you're going on this trip because things are a lot better here when you're not here. Now, if you haven't been there sometime, thank God, maybe sometime you will be. But there's nothing worse in a family than when the rock drops because I hate to tell you this, sometimes when it drops, it's permanent damage. 
Sometimes it signals the end of a relationship. Sometimes even though, you know, you, you try to put the pieces back together again, it's a little bit like Humpty Dumpty. You, you can't do it. It's not going to work. And sometimes it takes seasons, and sometimes it brings years just to bring about that whatever you lost, that intimacy you lost, that closeness, that trust that you lost over that time. But because he had something else to do, you left it with them a little bit too long. Now, in analyzing this, I, I understand why this happens. You know, and part of the reason why this happens is, is this, is that we love progress. I mean, who doesn't? And in the marketplace, and I'm sure in your industry, because in my industry, we just love, you know, the work that we do, and we love to see that progress. Because when I go to work, I can measure progress. Can't you, at your workplace? When I come home, I can't measure progress necessarily. Folks, I'm just home. If I stay at work two extra hours, I get stuff done, and I can put a checkbox, and I can make a call, and I can tell somebody that I finished something. When I get home, I'm just home. I mean, like most of you, I can't make extra money at home. I have to be at work for that at home. There isn't any celebrations. There, there's no plaques. There's no trophies. Nobody's ever sat around and brought me up and given me an award or anything like that at home. But by the way, they should, right? As father, I'm just kidding. But, you know, there, there's, the point is that there's no financial bonuses connected to you being at home. You're just at home. And I think God, you know, who loves progress, you know, progress in you and progress in the world. And, and I think of all that God has created and I think of progress as, as God's thumbprint. God's thumbprint on us and God's thumbprint on, on what he wants to do in this world. But when your desire and your quest for progress, whether it's growing something or building something or making more money, creating a name for yourself, whatever it may be, all of which are good things. When those things begin to compete with the fundamental things, the essential things, and when you begin to cheat what is most important for the sake of something that is secondary, then we have a problem. No, so with all of that as a backdrop, I told you I was going to tell you my story. It took longer than I wanted it to. But with all that as a backdrop, and knowing all of that, having seen that in the lives of so many people, Olivia and I are sitting there with this tension, and I asked her, so what is the deal? What is ideal? What would my schedule look like? Don't be afraid to tell me. Unsurprisingly, she had a list. Hmm. She had been thinking about that as well. So I'm going to tell you what she told me, the four things. She had a longer list, but I'll tell you. The first one she said is one event at a time. Carlos, if you know we're going to feed the homeless on this weekend, we have to shop, cook, and go. Why would you schedule yourself to preach that weekend? It's just not good for any of us. So I try not to do that. And she said, don't miss important birth dates and big events. You know, one of the biggest problems we were having back then is like, oh, it's my son's birthday. It's like, why don't we celebrate it next month? Because all the weekends are taken. I'm not even kidding. It's, it's kind of sad, actually. She says, don't book major events without a conversation with me. If you're going to go off and, you know, you want to, somebody asks you to marry them and all that, that sounds great. Talk to me first because I have a schedule, too. Which leads me to the second. The other thing is, let's coordinate our schedules. So now we're on Google Calendar. She sees my stuff. I invite her to every event so she knows what I'm doing. And then another one that I want to share with you that I'm still working on. And it's, it's an ongoing thing for me. And I, I think you guys can relate. She says, when you come home, be present. Be here. Be, be, be there. You know, pay attention. Don't just 
glaze off into the distance. And, I, and I'm so glad that she told me and she just didn't, she didn't want to tell me because she knew what a burden it would be. And so I made the decision. It was one of the toughest decisions that I've ever made as a leader, certainly as a pastor, but it's the best leadership decision that I've ever made. And part of it, honestly, it has to be easy for us. It has to be easy for you because if you're a follower of Christ, I mean, this is, this is what he teaches us. In fact, every single week we tell you that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he died for us, our sins and he actually rose again. And, and I believe that there's people who saw it and I believe that there were people who took his teachings and spread it around. And many of those teachings are found in the New Testament. So we tell you that because of that, we should take the New Testament seriously. And in the New Testament, Peter, who actually hung around with Jesus, and Paul, who spent a lot of time with his followers, wrote some very specific things about relationships and marriage. And I, and I knew that for the rest of my life, and for me it was six years ago, and even before then, that, that I was going to be standing up in front of you, and I was going to be talking to you about the things that you should be doing because the Bible says so. And here's what the New Testament says about marriage. And, and I taught it and I believed it. And suddenly for me, there's this new level of application that had come my way because I knew that the New Testament taught this. Now check this out. This comes from Ephesians. It says, we looked at this verse before and it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is the introduction to something that he's about to tell me as a husband. You know, submit means that I place myself under. Submit means that I'm going to put your deal above my deal. Submit says, Olivia, honey, whatever you want, I'm going to try to do my best to make sure that you get what you want and what you need. Because, folks, I think you guys can agree with me that as men, we've never been called to submit ourselves to our career. I've never been called to submit myself above uh, to my local church. And you see, there's that tension. I've never been asked to submit myself to my desire to create a name for myself or submit myself to, to the drive of making a lot of money or to build a big organization or to get promoted as high as I can. I've never been called to submit to that. But my heavenly father through those who knew his son so well, said, I'm to submit myself to another person. And then he goes right to the heart of the issue. And in verse 25, he says, Husbands, there's what it looks like to submit yourself to one another and to your wife. He says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then in case we didn't know exactly what that man, what he was talking about, he says, and gave himself up for her. Meaning, husbands, you give yourself up as he gave himself up. Husbands, how do you love your wives? As Christ loved the church. Not as you think she deserves to be loved. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what do we have to do? Well, we follow Christ's example. And you give yourself up for her. You give up your ambition for her. Not all of it, but the one he's asking you to give up. You submit your desire for progress and all those good things that God has put in your heart for her sake, for the sake of her, for the sake of your kids. Remember, it's, there's, a, there, there's, there, there's a rule here. It's God first, then it's your spouse, then it's your kids, then it's your work, and then it's your ministry. 
So in that moment, well, we had to talk because I knew these things, because I've taught these things, I believed in these things, but I, I just really didn't have any choice but to figure out a way to create breathing room in our marriage. It had to happen. I'm here telling you about how you're supposed to do it. But there was obstacles. Because it's easier said than done. And I think all of you guys would agree with that. And one of the obstacles was what we talked about in the first part of this series. We said that there are things that are at war with our breathing room, with our margin. It's not a discipline problem necessarily. It's not our desire for more money necessarily, although those things get in the way. The issue for most of us is when it comes to really creating breathing room is this. It is fear. We're afraid. It's fear. We, we start to think that, that if we create breathing room, we, we may not measure up. And if we don't show up, and then we're afraid what people are going to think. And I'm afraid how people might interpret. And I'm afraid that people may think I'm lazy or that I'm not committed to something. But none of us really want to admit that kind of stuff because that's deep. But what drives the breathing room right out of our lives is fear. And in my case, I was thinking, how am I supposed to tell employees that are really working themselves silly that I'm not going to be able to go to that event? So you go ahead and take care of it and good luck with that. And what happens when the people at the church find out? What happens when I quit going to all those meetings and I quit going to all of these groups because people, and it's a beautiful thing, you know, they, they want me to be there and rep represent this or talk this. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to be able to go there. So, so when can you make it? Well, never. I mean, it's not categorically never, but it's going to be hard for me to get there. How do you say to an organization, especially an important job at a church that has so many needs, how do you say categorically, no? What are they going to say? Folks, it's fear that we have to battle. So I began to pray a different prayer. And, I'm gonna, and I, I encourage you guys to pray this prayer as well. Remember that prayer I said, Lord, take care of the things at home so that I can take care of the things at, in my you know, the church or my business? Well, I turned it around. And I prayed, Lord, take care of the things at work while I take care of the things at home. Father, I'm a little sarcastic sometimes. You know, God, you think that you can possibly take care of things that work? You think you're able to do that, oh God, who created the economy and who created mankind and who knows the future, the past and the present? You think you can handle this while I go to home and take care of things that actually, listen to this, that actually define me? Of course he can, can't he? And here's the other thing that I stumbled on during this, this season of life because there, there was so much learning and, and I'm still learning about this. It dawned on me that dur during those days that with my kids and my wife, Olivia, it dawned on me that I only, and you too, I only really have two unique roles. At that time, it was only two un unique roles. I have three now, but back then it was like I was a husband to my wife and I was a father to my kids. That's it. Nothing else. Anything else that I do besides those two unique roles somebody else can do. And let me give you guys a newsflash. Somebody else will do eventually. There will be somebody else who does this someday because I'm not going to be around to do it and you're not going to be around to do what you're doing right now, what you're, all that effort you're putting into whatever it is you're putting besides those two unique roles that you have. By the way, my third one is now I'm a grandpa. 
You know, my only two unique roles at this stage of life is first husband to my wife and father to my kids. So why in the world would you trade what is unique to you for something someone else can do and will do? You know, every time I preach, I just like to ask questions. You need to be able to answer that question for yourself. Folks, that's a bad trade. So here's what I would say to you. Don't make that trade. Don't trade what is unique to you. Unique to you for something somebody else will do. That is a bad trade because I can promise you this. You're going to look back one day and you're going to want to relive that moment. You're going to want to redo. Now here's the thing. The thing that Olivia and I wrestled through this. And I didn't want to look back and wonder what if. You know, what if I had really trusted God? I wonder what God would have done if I had not allowed fear to take control of me. I wonder what would have happened if I had taken seriously what Jesus said when he said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask. You know, I wonder what it would have looked like in our lives if God actually knew and had interest and knowledge about all my passions. What would it look like to not worry about tomorrow? What would it look like for God, you know, to do the things while I trust in him to do the things that he promised to do? What would that look like? Folks, I, I didn't want to look back and wonder. And folks, I don't want you to look back and wonder either. I don't want you to miss this stage of life to get to this end of the season in your life and look back and wonder what if. Wonder what God might have done if you had trusted him in your 20s, in your early years of marriage, in your dating life, if you had trusted him with your morality and your sexuality, if you had trusted him financially and and with your schedule. What would God have done with me and through me if I had said no to that opportunity to move and to transfer and not to travel as much anymore. You know, I wonder what the story I'd be able to tell my kids and grandkids now if I had trusted them in those critical moments of life where somebody was going to get cheated and I had chosen to cheat my family. You know, there's enough regrets in life that sometimes we create that are unavoidable, right? But why look back in a season and wonder what God might have done if you had trusted him with everything, if you had taken seriously, are you ready for this? The most repeated command in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, the most repeated command in the Bible over and over and over is this, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Folks, that's the only way to move forward by faith. That's the only way to create breathing room. It's the only way to create that space that you need for the relationships that are most important to you. Again, why would you trade what is unique to you for something somebody else is eventually going to do? So in your desire and in your quest for them to get the most out of life, let's not lose control of our lives. Let's allow God to teach us to step back from our limits and to create this breathing room, this margin, this space that we're trying to tell you about. And let's trust him to do what he wants to do in us and through us 
for the remainder of our lives here on earth. Folks, let's take God seriously. Let's take his teachings seriously. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your teachings, Father. We thank you for your word and so humbling, Lord. It's humbling to think that he wants the best for us and sometimes we miss it, Lord. Sometimes we just skip right through it. Yet we can come here this morning and seek you first and foremost and take your teachings and take your word and plant it into our hearts, Father, because it instructs us, it convicts us, it tells us that there's a different way, a better way, that you know that way, Lord. So as we come before and we wrestle with this idea of creating breathing room with our relationships, Lord, I just want to put, want to put every single person in this room Lord, that you've been talking to and, and just compelling in their hearts. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to them and that you bring about a change if that's what you desire. If that you bring about a conversation if that is a start. That you bring about the idea that with you, everything is better if we put it into practice. So Lord, I pray that we walk out of these doors a different people than when we came in. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.